welcome back to Mad Get Radio, episode number 13. I'm joined as always by the salt to my pepper, it's Paul. How's it going guys? Everyone's good? Looking forward to talking some ninth age goodness. So we've got a confession to make. This episode was meant to be where we get our lovely ladies Laura and Jordan on to interrogate them about all things hobby. But um, things have come up so we've had to move stuff around. So we'll now be recording that episode next month sometime. But in the meantime, we've got a hell of a show lined up. Because we have two fantastic guests, one returning, one new. We have the Shadow Counselor himself, Ed Murdoch. Say hi, Ed. Hello. And we have the Enchanter, it's Tim Botnick. Evening all. And tonight we're going to be talking about playstyle and approaches to the game. So, um, before we get started, let's just get our guests to introduce themselves a little bit. Ed, you've already been on, but you can just remind everyone how evil you are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'm a uh, part of the Ninth Age Executive Board uh, and head of the background, which means that I spend more time on this hobby than is realistically plausible to maintain a real life. Uh, I'm also the person who keeps beating Andrew in competitions, hence his saltiness. In fact, I think he's done something wrong by naming uh, Paul as the salt. Well, someone's never getting back on the show. <laughs> Do you want to try and top that, Tim? So, people may or may not know me as Tim B, because nobody in the whole of the hobby seems to be able to spell or say my surname. Um, Not that it comes up too often, because you'll usually find me somewhere in the mid-tables instead of at the top winning trophies. Um, I'd also like to share the accolade of beating Andrew at uh, 100% success rate so far, (laughs) but not just doing it narrowly, giving him a proper thrashing with a list well-known on this podcast to being so rubbish... There's no possible way I could win the game, to quote episode, like, 11. That's me. You'll see me uh, playing hordes of chaff some day or another at some event. The worst part is that's 100% what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I will table you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Apparently, I mean, theme of this episode is going to be ripping into me, but that's cool. I'm I'm man enough to take that. So, Paul, what are we going to be talking about today? So we're going to be kicking off talking about playstyle. What are our preferred playstyles as Ninth Age players? So, does Ed, do you want to kick us off with this one? What's your preferred playstyle? Uh, sure. I mean, uh, the thing is, I don't actually know if I have a preferred playstyle. It's interesting, having talked to Felix recently, he seems to be under the impression that I am some sort of Highland berserker that... Uh, <laughs> who only takes pleasure in charging straight forward at the enemy and ramming units down their throat. And I have played that way. I didn't really think it was the only way I played, but apparently that's the reputation or the impression that he got. So I'm I'm slightly reevaluating certain parts of my playstyle recently. But generally speaking, I tend to hone into whatever playstyle fits with the army in both enjoyment and having a decent chance of winning, but I'm more likely to take a playstyle that I enjoy and try and tweak it to win rather than finding the most popular or most successful playstyle and using that. Okay. And uh, what armies is it that you actually play with? Uh, So I play with Orcs and Goblins, which, depending on your loadout, can be almost two completely distinct armies. Uh, And I play with KOE. I'm in the process of looking at Highborn Elves, Undying Dynasties as uh, two next next armies. Okay, so as a KOE and an Orcs and Goblins player, how would you differentiate the two 
in terms of what you think their kind of default playstyles lend themselves to? Well, I mean, they're, they're they're substantially different, and particularly now that the peasant list has been nerfed to the point where it's no longer viable, which I don't really care about. Um, you don't really see a horde Equitain army, uh, which is where orcs and goblins have their real specialty. Uh, so orcs and goblins have some options in terms of grinding or in terms of sitting back and pulling people towards them. They've also got a lot of randomness and a lot of things that can surprise opponents. Equitain, it's less about the surprises, it's more about can you position the charges and the counter charges and essentially can you box your opponent in to the point where you can make the charges that count. And quite often that means you're not doing anything until turn four to five because you can't risk charging earlier than that and uh, getting bogged down. So they are pretty distinct in terms of how they play. Okay, what about you Tim? What would you say your preferred playstyle is? So mine's a little bit different. I would say my play style is quite uh, expansive, quite fluid. I tend to prefer to just dominate the table and fill it with cheap units or just bodies on the board, preferably not with any kind of slow uh, parts of the list, something that will get left behind or doesn't have the ability to maneuver itself. So I guess it's kind of like a, a Zulu-styled play where i look to surround and box my opponent in not necessarily with the tightest net in the world of units that can actually win the game but create opportunities and give my opponent a problem you know if i can make my opponent take 10 panic tests in a game something's going to flee eventually and somewhere i'll have a unit that can charge it and push it off the board so it's uh i don't know how you'd quantify this as a play style but i found that every army i play I will represent this playstyle with that army. Like, I can't just, uh, like, even, for example, when I played uh, Dwarven Holds in, in previous editions in our current version of the game, I won't just tank up, sit in a box, and zone out parts of the board like some of the other guys on the scene will with dwarves. You'll regularly see my dwarves in your deployment zone halfway through the game, if not turn two, if I can ring it, just simply because I need to be everywhere to feel like I'm controlling the game. My favorite list to play are the Beast Herds. They always have been. They're the closest army to playing the typical Zulu fashion of being front, back, and sides. Again, nothing with extreme power in it. But if I'm everywhere, you can't possibly protect the flanks and rears of all of your units. So I'll pick my opportunities when I need them. I like to play in every phase of the game, even if you know I'm playing a Beastman gun line or, or something that you know shouldn't physically be possible. I do it to play every phase because then it creates more opportunities for me in the game. So I guess that that's kind of what I do. I look to play quite expansive, quite fluid and, and just keep myself in the game by having enough units that they get to the end of the game, you know, potentially to finish off an opponent or to keep me in it if I'm down on points or, you know, contest objectives, whatever it is that I'm looking to do at the time. Would you say that's almost like a cloud list, you know, like the old skink cloud? Skink Cloud without the Skinks. When I played yeah. uh, Lizards back in the day in a previous game, I played it with Saurus Warriors <laughs> um, at a time when they weren't very good. But I had so many of them and they were everywhere. You know, you had to respect a unit Saurus getting in the flank of one of your units. Um, the Skinks obviously would set that up, but I would never say I played the Skink Cloud list. But I've yeah. played the Skink Cloud with Dwarves. I've played the Skink Cloud with Orcs. I've played the Skink Cloud with armies that can't do it. The only exception to this being vampires, where you just lose the ability to flee or run away or, you know, create holes in the line that weren't there the turn before and march about the board at high speed. 
I tend not to play that style of list. And if I do, you'll probably see it's full of wolves and bats and ridiculous things that no one else takes. Um, but I've got a lot of them, and I'm trying to do new and unique things with them. That's very interesting. Okay, well, we're going to pick out some of the stuff you guys have just mentioned. Paul, how about what's your favourite playstyle, bud? What do you think? <laughs> Come on, tell me. I want to know. That sounds like a really loaded question. Like you know exactly question. what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a Warriors player, Andrew. So oh shit, I forgot. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, kind of restricted. Uh, <laughs> kind of got to, kind of got to get up in your grill and like you know kill stuff. So for for all that, I play like a super aggressive army, or that's kind of how it's like designed to to operate. I don't think I'm actually I'm a very particularly aggressive player. So. The whole like playstyle issue wasn't really something like I've well certainly didn't consider when I was starting thinking about getting into wargaming and things. So it's actually really interesting to to talk about it with players that have been playing the game for longer and playing with different armies. So yeah, like I, I'm not really I'm sort of hesitant as a player to kind of just push up kind of regardless, which I think tends to kind of be the stereotype that warrior players have. So certainly playing against other warriors players like. Um, like, you know, Barry's list at the Scottish Champs, yep. like, that's, he kind of is, like, the epitome, the, the kind of, he is, like, the Warriors player, he would just bring the, the hardest stuff and push it in your face, and that's really not how I play at all. I think because I'm very aware that, like every other army, we're still relying on getting, like, the correct matchups, and so because we can't put pressure on from range, we're, we're really about getting into the right combats, and so movement and deployment are even more important, so... I think I'm as a fairly new player. I'm still categorise myself as a new player. I think I'm quite hesitant with warriors, so I think I still need to kind of get to grips with the army from that perspective. I've only ever played warriors, so I can't really say what my preferred playstyle is. I do enjoy the kind of elite nature of the army, but that's something I'm certainly looking forward to with ogres. Is just having a little bit more flexibility and being able to compete in the different phases of the game, which just now you, you can't really do with the warriors army. Uh, but I suspect I'm probably more suited to kind of like mixed arms list. Uh, which can compete in more phases um, and offers a little bit more choice in terms of when you decide to push during the game. Whereas with Warriors, you just kind of have to go all in for a lot of the time. So the reason that this episode is what it is, is, well, Paul and I had this a discussion about we should do a, an episode on playstyle. And then uh, Dan Thomas was up in Glasgow uh, before Christmas and I went and had a coffee with him. And I was talking to him about, he was at a tournament just before and we were talking about that. And just the way he was describing the games was just radically different to how I would. And this is where, like, that that top echelon of player and just approaches to the game, I think, is different. And I think that's what separates um, them between everyone else. And he was talking about um, how he was going to play it this way because it was how he was going to get the most out of the army and how certain players are stuck in a play style, but the army doesn't match it so that they, it stops them getting the, the most out of it and stuff like that. So uh, that's basically why we've just asked you to tell us what your preferred playstyle is. And interestingly, going through y'all, I would say Ed is an aggressive player. <laughs> I would say Paul is not an aggressive player. <laughs> <laughs> and i got no fucking idea what Tim's doing, but it seems to be working against me, so <laughs> I, might need to, I might need to come back in a couple episodes and tell you about that one. But like for myself, I'm, I'm very defensive. Uh, I'm also very reactive. I don't feel particularly confident. Um, when I'm on the push, I don't really know why. Like I do obviously push because you know if you don't push, you you sit in your deployment for the whole game because you've got to go get points at some stage. But I like seeing what my opponent's doing and then reacting to that. 
Uh, maybe similar to the kind of thing that Tim's doing, where he's like enveloping and then, you know, forcing an issue. I kind of like to do that as well. Um, and then I know that if players try and push me, there's ways you can get around that. And that's the setup I like to produce in my games. Um, obviously, that can go. I think being a defensive player is sometimes a bad thing because you can almost let your opponent dictate the game too much. And you always feel like you're on the back foot. But I think that's why. I mean, I've been essentially allowed to play that way because I play Empire and I compete in all phases. And I probably don't excel in any. Probably shooting now, actually. They, they are very strongly shooting. But because you compete in all phases, you shouldn't really let your opponent feel like they're in 100% control all the time. In those phases where they're not competing, you can push an advantage. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, having all said all that, do you guys think that the the playstyles that you believe you have match your chosen army or armies? I don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I chose warriors mainly because I like the aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and it was an army that... I mean, this is at the time when I wasn't really even aware of Ninth Age, and I was looking to get into 8th edition... And I was looking at Warriors of Chaos as an army, which had a lot of customization, had some really cool magical options, had monsters, had a really good selection of things in the army. And at the time, there was a lot of really good introductory material. I think Warriors of Chaos were quite a, a popular army, so there was a lot of materials for uh, new players to get into, kind of like um, introductory guides and things. So that made the army quite accessible for me as a new wargamer. So it was really for those reasons which I picked that army, as opposed to really thinking about playstyle. So I don't really think my playstyle matches Warriors. I still do enjoy the army, but um, I think knowing what I know now, it might not have been my first choice. I don't know if Warriors is the best army to learn the game with. Okay, that's interesting. So let's cut to a comment that Tim made. So after the first day, we already, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but after the first day of the Scottish Champs, when we were getting a drink after it, Tim, you said that you felt that Paul wasn't a Warriors player who was playing Warriors. Not sure I said it exactly that way. Uh, sorry, Paul. Um, well, I quoted you. Yeah, and it's... Yes. <laughs> from, from, a, from a play style point of view, yeah, the way Paul played the list that he played at that event wasn't conducive to getting the most from the list. I think that you and I had the same kind of experience at um, the English Championships at well, where perhaps you realised too late in the game... Um, the game plan should have been different on your side, but we'll get more on that later, I think. But yeah. I think the, as, as far as matching players to army style, I think, as Paul, Paul's kind of said there, that perhaps he's not super aggressive enough to play the Warriors list the way the Warriors was intended, which is to close the distance as quickly as possible and just get bogged down into killing everything. You know, in the same way as, you know, you can get a, a slightly more defensive player, prefer sitting back and shooting people with guns, Allah, yourself and the current AOS list with um, you know being able to, to react and, and do a bit of everything, but yeah. you can sit back and, and play that kind of safer uh, play style. So I think, yes, you're right. I, I said something along those lines that sometimes the player and the strategy don't line up, or at least the strategy holds the player or the player holds the strategy back. Okay. Do you think that, obviously we're trying to link play style in the army, so do you think that something like Warriors... You have to be that super aggressive playstyle to get the most out of it, or is it still a list thing? For for me personally, I think you can play each of the books differently. Like uh, I, I said to you guys, like my style and, and how I would look to play the list. 
I think I can still do that with the Warriors. You okay. just won't see any Karish Warriors. You will see a lot of Marauder Cav. You will see me playing lots of Hound units. You will see me playing random monsters. You know, you might see a, a unit of, of Knights or Crushers or something in the list. But I would make what I needed to from that list. There would be lots of throwing weapons. There might be an artillery piece. There'd be lots of different things going on because I would play it to, to my play style because I've spent 21 years in the hobby getting used to playing that play style and it works for me in a way that it doesn't for other players or at least they may underestimate it when I'm doing it. But having played it almost solidly for 21 years, I'm quite good at getting that style out of each book. It's not necessarily a good list when you see it written down, but if, if I was playing a Warriors smash list, then you know the way you have to play that is to get the most from the list. Now, that generally means pushing pretty quickly across the board. Sometimes it means trying to table your opponent. Sometimes it will mean trying to score enough points that by the time they react and grind back, counter charge you, you're up on points. So you have to go into it working out whether you're heavily favored, slightly favored, or, you know, in the worst cases, if you realize that you know, you're on the downside, this is not a fight you can win. What can you do about it to limit the, the loss? And I think with Warriors, the way you limit the loss is you cram everything into something and try and kill that something instead of trying to sit off and you know do nothing at range and wait till they get to you. So you're very much of the kind of persuasion that you you make the book fit your playstyle rather than the other way around? For me personally, yes. Yeah. I, I would get my list out of each book one way or another. Okay, that's really interesting. Uh, what about you, Ed? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, I suppose I, I'm trying to find playstyles that fit the armies rather than the other way around. I, I have yet to play a specifically defensive list, uh, just because I don't think it suits the armies that I have at the moment. I've tried to play the green gun line a bit in terms of, you know, full defensive goblins, but uh, that one I couldn't make work. Um, now, whether that was the playstyle or whether that was the list or whether it was just because orcs and goblins don't do that particularly well compared to others, sure, but generally I want to find a playstyle that I find enjoyable and that I find fits the army's character rather than the other way around. What about you, Andrew? I mean, I'm Empire, so we do everything. We're broken as fuck, so... <laughs> I mean, for Empire, you can really play any way you want. could play an aggressive Empire list if you wanted. And actually, I've been testing an, imp- an aggressive Empire list. Don't tell Felix. Um, recently. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I've only I've only played Empire in, in ninth, so... It's hard to it's hard to say for certain, but I mean definitely I've found a, a playstyle which you know I quite enjoy playing and I think that I can get quite a lot out of. And Empire seem to do that because uh, they're very synergistic and they can you know they can compete in all those phases. And like Tim said, if things aren't going well, you can essentially turtle up. And when you're turtled up, you know you're you're still quite a hard army to get points out of if push comes to shove. But my army probably does match my playstyle, but. You know, I've, I've played a couple of games with the VC uh, over the last couple of weeks. I think I've played four games, you know, just to try them out, just to try something different before we go into serious uh, ETC practice and things like that. Um, and quite surprisingly, I found that, you know, they're quite a defensive army as well because a lot of the early stages of the game are all about, you know, getting your, your ship core units up to up in numbers um, so they can hold out while your killy stuff does does the work. So actually, I think just by pure dumb luck rather than actual, you know, active choice, the VC book seems to kind of fit my playstyle as well. 
which is nice to know uh, as I complete painting 120 zombies. <laughs> Were you conscious of your kind of playstyle, your preferred playstyle, before you chose to go with Empire? Um, no, not really. I mean, like you, I was kind of drawn to the aesthetic. I mean, you know, like I, I do history as a profession, so I was drawn to the aesthetic, um, and I like the idea of being able to compete in all phases. I think it was probably more aesthetic than anything else, like yourself, which just kind of drew me to the army, and it's really just been kind of dumb luck that I've fallen into that. But then I don't know how much the army has dictated my playstyle in return, because obviously I've played, I've just played uh, Empire Ninth and. Um, I've played what I feel like is the best way to play the book, rather than what something like what Tim's been doing is like has this playstyle mind and you try and mold the book to that. So I don't know how much actually just by you know playing the game that the Empire books kind of affected the way I play the game. Okay. What about you, Ed? Did you consider the playstyle before you chose Orcs and Goblins in KOE? When I chose Orcs and Goblins, that would have been 20 years ago. So, no. That's <laughs> the honest answer. <laughs> At that point, I had barely played any games, and uh, I had maybe two opponents that I would play regularly. So uh, it was very much just uh, I was drawn to the models. I was drawn. Also, it was part of a starter set at that point. Um, easy to get hold of a, uh, a lot of cheap models. I've come to I've come to like them, come to love the the random elements and you know that that kind of side of them. They're not necessarily my favorite in terms of background and things. I really like Equitame, which is why I went that direction, but again that's more for the flavor and feel of the army more so than it was about specific tactics and things. I would rather have an army that I have a passion for and find a way to enjoy playing it. I'm always going to be driven by that sense of, do I like the feel of the army? I'm still to get to there with Highborn Elves. It's not my, it wouldn't have been my first choice, but the army was going cheap, so I'll have to learn to love them in some way. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, generally speaking, I, I find a, a take on an army that I like, uh, and then I build out from there. Okay, cool. So just something that's kind of sprung to mind, obviously, we're all quite involved in the ninth age and we're always trying to grow the game. So for people that are listening that are new players or potentially thinking about picking up the game, um, talking about playstyle is a kind of topic. For new players, how much do you think they should try and consider what they would anticipate their playstyle to be before choosing an army? How important do you think that is? I think it's hard, isn't it? Especially like brand new players that haven't played like war games in general. If they're coming yeah. fresh in the hobby, it's hard to really know. There was a there is a website called is it Hoodlings Hole who did like really cinematic big Warhammer Fantasy battle reports, and they had a series which was all about you know getting into into fantasy and things like that. And uh, I remember that he had a, a section on choosing armies, and he basically said that your first army choice will probably be aesthetic, which you know unsurprisingly like we've all kind of agreed that. And then with that first army, you decide what you like and dislike. And he was saying that most players play for maybe about a year or so with that first army, and then they'll discover that they they want something else, or they find that their natural playstyle just doesn't fit that army very well, so they go on to something else, and that kind of then becomes their long-term project, which is quite interesting. I would agree with that. I'd kind of second that. But way, way back, many a year ago, when I got into to, to Warhammer in its first instance, I just fell in love with what were the Highborn Elves in their original form, and the fluff and character that went with them and i got into that started playing 
with that army until I discovered that playing the way the, the, the book fluff is written. So in order to, to fit my army into the way the background was written about the play, I found myself being quite limited. So treating every elf life as if it was exceptionally important and therefore playing every game not to lose the models I had because, you know, in, in, in the background, like, oh, for every elf that's dead, you know, that, that's, you know, uh, a big chunk to, to lose of, of the, the race. So I played my games that way and I played the games the way that I interpreted the background stories and the way that things should come about. And I found that that wasn't for me. Playing with the very few elite models wasn't the way I wanted to play the game and get the most enjoyment. So I came across, you know, my, my second love of, of things, which was, which was the beasts. And I, yeah, I mean, I always have grand designs of going back and playing a, a super elite, fantastically well-painted elf army. But until I can get to that stage, I will continue playing complete chaos and uh, <laughs> roaming around an entire battlefield with the beasts. So I can understand that background choice and play style. Yes, you'll start with one till you find the other, but I don't think there's a, a better way of doing it. You know, short of sitting and watching hour upon hour of like, and I will have a total war YouTube videos or something to get an understanding of the army races. I can't think of a, another way short of reading the, the background stories of the books to, to work out what you want to play, but there's nothing quite like playing it on the table to find, you know, you don't like castling up and sitting back and shooting people with cannons at long range you'd actually prefer to get right up in everyone's grill and smashing stuff up with chariots. Like it seems really obvious, but until you played it, it's hard to know what fits your character. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think that's something that's necessarily intuitive for a new player. I don't yeah. think they would necessarily consider playstyle as an important aspect of their choice as to which army they should start with. But I think given that obviously we can all appreciate that it's, if you get into the game, it takes a long time to get to grips with the game. It's quite an in-depth game. Building an army can take a lot of time. Painting it is quite a substantial process to go through. So for those people that are interested in getting involved, um, I would say another good way to try and offset any kind of disappointment with your army is like just to talk to people and just to see what they think. And then through those kind of conversations, you can get a better idea. Because like you say, apart from that, you've really only got relying on battle reports and things like that and trying to make up your own mind. So I think talking to people that play different armies you know, you'll get a good representation of how that army should operate and if they think if that will be something they'll actually enjoy. Because I think certain armies are are better for new players. I think if you can pick up an army that competes in all the phases, I think that's a better way to get to grips with the game. Because, like I say, I'm a Warriors player and like I'll be playing someone and they'll ask me a question in the shooting phase and I'm like, dude, I don't fucking know how to fucking shoot. Them. Why are you asking me? So Yeah, I guess I guess for learning the rules, that's a good point that sometimes... Some armies, you know, I've heard various people who don't play magic, for example, and therefore had no idea how magic works because it's been multiple iterations of the rules since they've played with any magic. And so, yeah, anything yeah. that encourages you to learn all the rules is probably a good thing for a first-time yeah. player. I, I don't think it's a kind of make-or-break decision, but I think, as I say, because it is quite a big investment, you don't want to get 12 months into your first army and think, mm, maybe I've made a mistake potentially sour the experience a little bit. It can, but I, I think as well, whatever choice you make, your first army, the first time that you're building up models and painting them, it's such a labor that, and you're going to lose games. I mean, unless you're a savant and I've yet to meet anyone. Okay, that's not true. I've met a couple of people I would call that, but 
but they've been playing for years. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, Tim. Tim, you're uh, you're one of those. Oh, bro. <laughs> yeah, Andrew. He said savant, not servant. All oh, right, sorry. He said savant, not idiots. Idiot savant. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, unless you're unless you're just you know whiz kid, you're you're always going to lose games at the outset, especially if you come against experienced players or you play in competitions. So you've got to get through that slog of picking up the rules, learning what the rules are, learning how to play, and and just losing with an army. And if you don't love the army, if you don't enjoy bringing it out, if you don't enjoy playing it, and you and particularly you don't enjoy making it, painting it, and living it. It's going to be very difficult to get to the point where you enjoy the game enough to say, I want a second army. I want something that I can now try and, you know, really meld with. So I think talking to people is good. I think trying to maybe even borrowing an army or two just to have a few practice games and and see what you enjoy from a game. But ultimately, it's got to be an all round experience. You've got to love the models. You've got to love the, the, kind of nature of an army in order to keep going at it long enough to pick up the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we, we kind of look back at our own playstyles and we discuss that a little bit further, just going on this thread about new players, what army books do you think lend themselves to multiple playstyles? So if you're a, a new player and you're coming to the hobby, you don't know what playstyle is yours, you kind of like all the aesthetics of the armies, so which books do you think can play multiple different ways and which give players a lot of versatility in how they build their list and play the game ultimately. I think based on the armies that we typically see in the club, I'd say most of the lists kind of generally fall within like pure combat or more shooting focused or some sort of mix. We generally don't see a lot of kind of avoidance or like monster mash style lists or like horde army type. So just based off like my experience of what I've seen, I'd say that orcs and goblins EOS can typically bring a little bit of everything depending on what it is you like. If you're if you like a little bit more of the kind of high fantasy, maybe more orcs and goblins because they've got more monsters and things. Beyond that, I'd, just looking at bat reports and stuff like that, I think highborn elves as well seem to be quite effective in a lot of the different phases of the game. So they would probably be my three suggestions. Okay. Tim, what about yourself? I mean, you obviously played for a long time. See, this, this is where I struggle because I think all of them can do this job. Okay. I think the, the, the reason we have a rules team and a balance team in ninth is to make each of the books viable and each of the units within the books viable. Obviously, some are designed to do some things better than others, I, a.k.a. warriors smashing into your face. But if I had to prove it to somebody, I'd play a, a warrior's avoidant shooting list and show you it could be done. It wouldn't be as effective. But I, that's how I would write the warrior's book with, you know, two ton of marauders or barbarians and very few kind of armored elite units. So... For me, I think you can pick up any of the armies. I think what you need to have in your local gaming community as a new player is different strategies, different play styles. If you, if all of your players all play the same way, you're not going to see the differences in the game. If you have, you know, three or four local players and you all play differently, it doesn't matter what list you pick up first and what list they pick up. You just all need to have a different play style or a different approach to the game. And then you will see the game come through. The only advice to new players is, I guess, don't play dwarves because nobody else will love to do it. Yes. Um, <laughs> as a dwarf player, that hurt to say, but uh, you know, I'll say it later so you've got no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's a stigma that goes with playing dwarves. But if you play dwarves and don't sit in the corner and don't sit behind your guns, which is a new player, 
you're not going to know how to do, there's no problem. So uh, yeah, for me, I think all of the armies do this job. It more comes down to your your local meta as to how the players play the game. That's a really good point. So we've got a couple uh, got a couple questions on the whole playstyle thing, but I think before we go into them, just a final question to you all. Do you think that certain playstyles are safer than others or easier to win with? Leading on from that dwarf discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Not to lead the answers in any way there, Andrew. No, no, no. That's in the show notes. <laughs> I think I think that depends what you mean by safer and easier to win with. See, I think there's 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 a difference between being reliable and being easy to do and therefore harder to fuck up. Yeah. Uh and I think probably avoidance for example done well is the most reliable way of scoring a small win or a small loss. Yeah. You know, that's its entire purpose is there to not give away points. And it can, you know, it can score well. It's generally not winning tournaments, although there are exceptions, but usually it's going to be doing well, not winning, but in a team environment, that can be a fantastic way to maintain points when you might otherwise lose them. That said, reliable is not the same as as easy to play because I know that I couldn't play an avoidance list. I wouldn't be able to keep track of enough charge arcs and movements and ranges in order to be able to do that. I just can't. So I, I take my hat off to people who can do it. And yeah, in terms of easy to win, it's difficult to say, I think, because you know ultimately any list, any style of play is always going to have a counter. Yeah. And the question is, how good are the counters and who are you playing against? You know, Are you bringing something that's unexpected and out of the ordinary and therefore difficult to counter or has everyone learned your tricks and knows exactly what you're going to bring like the you know the vc list for example if that uh, similar list had still been going this year then i think we would have seen some hard counters to it okay paul what do you think i think if you're just comparing play styles to one another directly i think inevitably they'll balance one another right so I don't think there's necessarily one default strongest playstyle. I think really it comes down to the matchup in the game, which obviously is just on a game-by-game -game basis. That being said, I think that some playstyles risk less than others, and they can like be harder to get points out of. So like what Ed was talking about with avoidance lists, it's not to say that they're easy to play, but they can be harder to lose with if you know how to play them well. Uh, so player skill in a lot of these discussions is, can be considered probably the biggest factor. I think generally speaking, though, I think it, if you've got a list that can gain points in every phase, you could consider that safer, simply because you've got more time to win the game. Whereas if you've kind of built your list to really only compete in one way, then that could be considered riskier. If you can't get the points back, then you know, you've got no other way of winning the game at that point. Tim, what do you think? Nope. <laughs> well, that was easy. <laughs> Do you know? Not at all. Nope. Each playstyle is as safe as each other. Then nothing's easier to win with. If you're comparing book to book, then there's a conversation. But uh, playstyle for me, it lines up rock paper scissors. If you're playing rock and you come up against paper, you're fighting uphill. If you come up against scissors, they're fighting uphill. It then comes down to what the players do with it. So for me, playstyle. I wouldn't say anything's safer than others per se. If somebody plays a 
super reliable, sit within 12 inches of lead chip 10 general on a BSB and never leaves the deployment zone. How are they going to pick points from me sitting across the board, whittling away at the one weak point that I can find? If they decide, you know, I don't know. No, just no. I'm going to stick with no. Okay. What do you think, Andrew? I think player skill is massive and just the ability to read the game, which is a big part of, you know, this this discussion. Um, but I would, I think super aggressive, I mean, like super aggressive is an easier play style to get stuff out of the game with simply because you have one objective and that is to get up into their face and unless they are just as smashy as you or they, you know, chaff you to shit or shoot you off, you're getting points. And even if they chaff you to shit, you're getting points. So I think it's, it is an easier play style to see. I don't want to say it's an easier play style to win with, but I think it's an easier play style. Um, however, having said that, I think it's also the one with the, the highest uh, variance levels because if you've only got one way to play the game and you push up and you are countered like Tim was saying or that other player is you know, simply better than you and outmaneuvers you or, and things like that, then those are the kind of armies that bleed a lot of points when things really don't go their way. So I definitely think that you know corner armies, gun lines are super reliable and they're, I think they're easier to play. But I think the the, the hyper aggressive playstyle is it's probably easier to win with. But again, you know, player skill and you know the actual ability to beat the game is so big. That kind of leads on to the kind of second big topic of mentality and player mentality when you actually play the game. So, how do you guys actually come up with a game plan? Do you have a specific process that you go through when you're actually when you sit there and you think, okay, this is what I'm going to be playing? So for me, game plan begins with. Finding out who my opponent is, uh, looking at the table that we're playing on, looking at the mix of units that they have and the mix of units that I have, working out my opportunities. So if I'm playing a VC or a, a UD list that's not going to be panicking anywhere, then that scraps a huge chunk of what I'm looking to do in the game out. But what it does mean is I now know I'm going to outmaneuver them. So my play game plan starts to evolve. I don't build game plans based on the psychology of my opponent, as much as Andrew's mind games would have you believe. <laughs> um, He's a liar. Like, <laughs> if, I come, if I come across, you know, somebody who on a Sunday morning still a little bit worse for wear from their Saturday night celebration, you know, who am I to say that because they can't see which one of me they're playing against, they're not going to be able to push <laughs> their arm into the table. So, I w- you know, I won't build a plan based on, on something like that. Um, and I won't be able to plan or a game plan based on player skill. So if somebody is going to play very tight, like if I find out oh, it's an ETC veteran or something, I know that they're not going to make mistakes. So my game plan has to be more solid. But if I'm basing my game plan on you making mistakes, that's a bad game plan. So for me, I have to work out in the matchup whether I'm the attacker or the defender. So this is a, a trait that I learned playing uh, Magic, of all things, where... I might be in a matchup that uh, across a ninth age gaming table where I think, you know, my list can do a bit of everything. My opponent's list can do a bit of everything, but I work out whether or not I'm going on the attack or the defense. Now, a lot of the time players realize this too late in games. So uh, again, maybe referencing the game I played with Andrew at uh, the English championship to, to give you an example, his army shoots. It's not a gun line, but his army is there to, to, to outshoot mine. I was playing an army that had quite a bit of shooting as well, and I fancied winning the shoot-off, which I then proceeded to start to do for the early turns. 
And when Andrew realized that shooting me off wasn't going to work, he started pushing across the table and reversed what was going to be a very heavy score in my favor back to uh, a much tighter game when he realized he was the attacker in that matchup. If he realizes that in turn one, I'm in a world of pain because there's not a lot I can do about it. And that kind of applies to multiple different uh, games that I've played at, at tournaments or in friendlies where I can win games simply by identifying that I'm the attacker with an army that looks like it's defending. So an army that's got lots of shooting or it's got the ability to hold out long in a game because it's quite grindy or, um, you know, it's, it's you know, like the old-fashioned temple guard block with uh, slan and stuff in it or dwar- dwarven hold units with stubborn. They're designed to last. So their game plan is just not to die and to kill you in return. But if you quickly realize that actually you're the attacker and you push across the board, you've still got all your defensive traits, but you're now halfway up the table and your opponent's got far less time to do anything about it. And that's when players tend to make mistakes. So for me, my game plan starts from the minute I arrive at the board and I start working out in my mind what I can and can't do to my opponent's forces in the game. Hopefully that makes sense. I've just rabbled on for a couple of minutes and no one's cut me off. So <laughs> I agree, that's 100%. My... 100%. Yeah. I think that's our exactly game... exactly what Andrew does. Yeah. No, 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 no. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't put that much thought <laughs> in it. <laughs> um, I think our game at English Champs is like the classic example now of misreading the game. Because like you, like I try and figure out who can dictate play and how I can dictate the play. So... Most of the time for my empire army, it's I can dictate play through magic and shooting, and I can force things, and I can force my opponent to do things that maybe they, they don't really want to be doing. And I went into that game thinking I can dictate play through the shooting phase. And first turn, didn't do anything. You actually won the shoot off, and I couldn't really fathom how the fuck that was happening. Turn turn two will be better, and it was the same, but all you, all your like jabbers and shit were all up in my face. And it really wasn't until turn three that I was like, actually, you know what? I'm being an idiot. I need to push here. And I, yeah, I just 100% agree with what you're saying that that was just realizing that the initial game plan was wrong. And I think that's uh, an experience thing as well, that you've just got to be able to essentially read the game before the game starts. And things like yeah. terrain and the secondary will obviously play into that. And I think that's, that's something that I'm not particularly good at yet. I think I need to get better at that reading the, the table better and um, reading the, the secondary objective a bit better. But I think that's a, the massive part of how the game will unfold. It's just about being able to look at the, your opponent's army and essentially say how you're going to deal with that. Yeah, I'd, I'd add that first time I played, or the only time that I've played Tim, was pretty a similar experience of looking at an army and thinking, well, that's a defensive gun line, uh, which then was in my face. <laughs> at the end of turn one, um, was this a your siege game, Ed? Yes, and had me scra- <laughs> had me scrabbling to gain as many points as I could to offset the fact that I was losing the secondary and losing points at the same time. So no, it's a it's an interesting experience because it's coloured how I look at matchups from then on, which is to put a big circle around anything that vanguards. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you, Ed? So obviously. That was a painful experience, and I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. That I actually think that you know losing is a massive learning experience because you know you always find out stuff that you never knew before. But, oh, um, you, you learn you learn way more from losing oh, than yeah. you do from winning. Hundred um, percent. But how do you approach your games now? So it's it's always slightly evolving. 
I, I try to read the lists in more detail now than I used to. Uh, I try and have notes on the characteristics of a unit that are going to be relevant when I play them. So if I'm playing a defensive shooting list, I want to know all their defensive stats and I want to have them to hand when I'm looking at an army because then I know what I can shoot off, what I can't shoot off. But then I'm sort of thinking, I know my army. I don't need to think about what's in my army. I need to look at their army and think, if I'm facing me as them, what am I looking to achieve based on the secondary, based on the board layout? You know, is that that hill, is that going to be the pivotal point in the game? Are they going to sit behind that? Are they going to come around that impassable? So I, I'm essentially looking at what their game plan is going to be. And then can I live with them doing their game plan as it is and counter it? Or do I need to do something more dramatic in order to shift where the game is? Uh, and that might be completely sitting back and castling, which I rarely do, or it might be trying to push one side, or you know, it might be pushing for first turn, or it might be going for second turn when they expect you to go for first turn and sitting further back than they expect you to. So I, I like to think that every game is completely different, and I like to sort of treat them completely different. But yeah, it all starts, I think, from reading the list and knowing the component parts of what's in the list that you're facing. Paul, what do you think? If I have a plan, if being the operative <laughs> words, <laughs> it's really just thinking about the kind of matchups. And if I'm more familiar with what I'm fighting, if it's a if it's an army that I come up against regularly, then I'll be a little bit more confident, and I'll be better aware of the kind of matchups that I should try and get off. Beyond that, I don't try and like play the player or anything like that. Um, I will maybe consider what terrain there is and. If I'm playing a gun line, can I use that to my advantage? Um, can I use that to screen certain units? But beyond kind of thinking about how best to get points out of enemy units, I don't really have much of game plan, which probably is the reason why I don't win very often. Certainly when I go to tournaments, I try and read through all the lists and stuff, especially for those lists that I'm not familiar with the army. Um, I'll make notes so that I'm aware of, okay, that unit does this. And then I can try and best to consider the matchups in the game. That's kind of basically how I approach the Scottish Championships. I think that was really useful, but on the other hand, I think I was in some regards a little bit over-prepared. And so I was a little bit too rigid when it came to actually playing the game. Should have been a little bit more flexible and changed what I wanted to do if things weren't actually working. So I think it's just experience when it comes down to it, and how best they can have adapt rather than having a, a strict game plan from the outset and trying to stick with it. Like you say about being able to read the game, I think it's just something that just comes with experience. This was something that came up when um, I was talking to Dan, because um, he was saying that that's what he, he thinks this is the biggest the biggest boon for good players, is the ability to have your plan and execute it. And that not having that game plan and not having you know a feasible way to do that is what holds a lot of players back. And he gave an example of, um, like, a, a Vermin Swarm army. And uh, he was saying, like, you know, your target prioritization when you're looking at that army across from you, like, what's the thing that you need to take care of first? And he was saying that it took him a long time to realize that it wasn't, you know, the big block, it wasn't the the war machines, it was the, the Screaming Bell, because that was given... You know, the, the aura effect to all the units, it was the one thing that if that was removed from play, that changes the, the game completely. But I think that's, you know, that's an experience thing as well. And it takes a long time for you as a player to look at that army across from you and figure out, 
exactly what you need to take out in order to change the game how, how the game will play out but i don't know if you guys yeah. do you guys have the same thing like when you see that arm across from you do you have you know that one or two targets that you need to take out i i think I, and i know what you mean with regards to identifying as part of your own game plan what you're going to do about your opponent's stuff so i i'd kind of combine this if i can with something ed said a couple of minutes ago about knowing his plan and therefore trying to work out his opponents and i i liken it to playing chess you've got to think three moves ahead so when i'm deploying i'm deploying to get to turn three to see what the board looks like for turn three not for turn one and two like the distances are too great your opponent can do anything or nothing but i'm looking for where i want to be in turn three and i'm working out what the threats are going to be for me within that so with my with my list um or list style that i play my play style my opponent should have a huge problem working out what exactly i'm going to do or what i could do with the amount of units that i have on the board whereas if i play someone who uh let's say for example a straightforward i'm just going to rush you warriors east it might be as scary as hell on paper to, to sit across the table from but you know what they're going to do and the easiest thing to do once you've done that like i have my plan i know what their plan is what would cause their plan the biggest issue or what can I do that makes sure my plan is foolproof? And as you say, it's that target prioritization of I don't need to kill the demon prince. If I remove something else and the demon prince is stuck facing combat res, then he's not coming in at combat yeah. because he only has to fluff once to lose the prince. So it's creating that opportunity of what to do. And the one thing that I found the best for, for this, for to get myself in my opponent's head and to see what they're seeing which is something I did at the ETC last year because there's, you know, 10 hours per round. When I finish deploying, they finish deploying and vanguards are done. I walk around and have a look at my army from their side of the table so I can see what they can see to see what it looks like. Does it look like I'm going to play super aggressive? Does it look like I'm defending behind that hill? Or is that hill just so happens to be one inch in front of my deployment zone and I couldn't have done anything else? I like to do that to see what my opponent is thinking. Because if I can work that out, that's an even bigger advantage for, for me. Knowing what they're going to do about it means that I might do something different. Or I might concede that, you know, if, the, if, if their game plan is to remove X unit in my list, I might let them do it. But I might let them do it in such a way that it takes X, Y, and Z out of their list. So I'll sacrifice something important to me in order to get a good exchange in the matchup, which is something that particularly new players, might not realize is going on until they've had the experience of doing it a couple of times over. So something that I think is also worth bearing in mind is that while you're doing your target prioritization and you're working out your counters, your opponent's doing the exact same thing. Yeah. And if you ever find yourself relying on one thing being in the right place or one unit surviving to get to turn four or five, you, you're going to have a problem because you don't know what is going to happen and what's going to get there. So, for example, wrecking teams. I, I love wrecking teams. I like to use them as roadblocks and obstacles, and they get in people's way. I can never rely on them, though, to be there when I need them, because magic, shooting, chucking a small unit in there, they can go at any time. And no matter how good you think your one threat is, if it's one threat, there's a good chance it might not make it to where you need it to be. So considering how you, the opponent is going to counter your kind of big threats, your your game winners or your game defenders is is extremely useful because 
sooner or later you're going to be in a position where you lose something that you thought was critical to your plan if you've relied on one thing. This is where like target saturation comes in. When you're making those target prioritizations, it's almost like acceptable loss. If your opponent's got too many threats, or you know at least multiple threats, you've got to accept that stuff's going to get away from you, and you're going to lose stuff. So it's about almost being able to develop that plan on your feet. That if you're not able to kill that, then that you know you may have to sacrifice that unit to hold up. But if you sacrifice that unit, you're going to get more points because it has allowed you to do something else on the other side of the table. Linking on from that, do you guys consider the the secondaries from like the outset of the game? Because this is something that, you know, I've mentioned before, I don't think I'm particularly good at. I think I play the army rather than the scenario. And it's starting to become an issue because, you know, when you're playing, you know, good players, a lot of the time it comes down to who gets that secondary. And it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that I need to improve on. So I was wondering if you guys are thinking the same things. or Is it always something that's in the forefront of your mind when you're making that game plan at the start? I don't. I mean, I... As long as I'm killing more things than I'm losing, I'm always kind of reassured that, thing, that things are going okay. <laughs> and I've got kind of time to worry about the, the secondary objective later on. But it really just depends on the matchup and the deployment style. If the secondary suits the matchup and the game plan, in which case I don't really, really need to worry about it. So if I'm playing against a fairly sedentary list and you know the secondary is like flags or breakthrough, then I'm really not too worried because... My objective is to get to the other side of the table and to kill things. And if I do that, then I'll be in their deployment and I'll be getting flags, etc. So, and if I'm winning the kind of combat and taking things off, then as long as the game looks like it's going okay, I feel like I've got time to worry about it. But again, I'm I'm kind of the same as you, where you know you can get to turn five and you can think, oh shit, I've actually not been really considering the secondary, and it looks like I'm not going to win it now. So just being able to read the game as what Tim was saying, three turns ahead, makes all the difference. I think typically the way I play Warriors is that I generally do have more kind of elite units, so I generally don't have a lot of units to spare. So I think that's something that, you know, maybe I should maybe consider when it comes to like list building, etc., about having more mobile objectors and things like that. But I do and I don't. It just really just depends on the setup. And if it's a casual game, then I, I tend not to. If it's a tournament, I, I generally try to, just because I'm conscious that three points is a big swing at the end of the game. And even if the game is going well, you know that's enough to bring it back to a draw or even a small loss. So certainly more so in certain circumstances than others. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I have started to consider increasingly as I've appreciated that if you win every game 13, where you trade you know, equal points or you don't make any points but you take the secondary. If you win every game 13, you're going to be well up in a tournament standing, or you're going to be a backbone of your team's performance in a team tournament. And so pretty much from deployment, I have to be thinking about what's the secondary. So against, uh, against in our game, Andrew, where it's secure targets... Is everyone just I'm having already... a me today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've used to get as an example... <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that tournament, I won four out of five secondaries. The only one that I lost was the <laughs> the tanking I got from Tanker. Um, <laughs> but in in every other game, I was able to set out the stall from the first moments of the game, bearing in mind what the secondary was, thinking about how my opponent was going to take the secondary, uh, and putting my steps in place to counter that. So against you, it was secure targets. I knew I had more 
scoring blocks, I knew that I could carry the objectives, so I didn't have to worry about not being able to move after I got them. So I basically lined up my three units in position to take all three objectives, and also knowing that with yours being a gun line, that I knew that where you were going to be for the most of the game. In the game that I narrowly lost uh, against Beast Herds, against Luke Tranter, um, I lost my bunker in turn two through a lucky spell and a terrible failed panic check. And at that point, I was so horrendously down in terms of capabilities for my list. But at the same time, I'd already built up two turns on secure the target for the middle, uh, on hold the ground even, for the middle of the game. So all I had to do at that point was maintain that position that I'd already set in place. And I was able to take the secondary and offset that uh, loss down to nine points uh, instead of, you know, six or worse. So I, I think given that so many games turn on a small swing, that initial thought of how am I going to get those three points or that six point swing potentially is such a huge part of the calculation that I don't think you can leave it until turns three, four, five. Okay. Tim, what's your thoughts? I start worrying about them when I start writing the list. I start thinking in my list of what I'm going to be able to do in each of the missions that come up, simply because when I get to the table and I'm working out what I can do, what my opponent can do, what the terrain looks like, I'm also thinking about the deploying with the mission in mind, because with the nature of some of the missions now where you have to be touching the marker to pick it up at the start of a turn or you have to be contesting the middle of the board every turn to counter it or, you know, whatever it is, getting the Hoyman zone, they are so key to working out what you're going to do early. You only have six turns in a game and it's even more important, even with the amount of time we have on the tournament scene, if you're playing someone who not necessarily has a reputation for not finishing their games, but if you have a matchup that involves 52 units aside, you know you're not finishing the game either. So you need to be thinking about getting the mission earlier. So, you know, you can only, you know, you might find yourself in a position where you know you're only going to get five turns. So if you're expecting to pick the mission up turn four, five, and six, you're only getting two turns of what you're thinking you're getting the mission. You're, you're conceding the early stage to your opponent now. Depending what the mission is, obviously some of them only apply at the end of the game. But for me, I would be worrying about the secondary pre-game. As soon as I get to the board and I know what the, the, the mission's going to be combined with the deployment, then I start building a plan for it. And I'm, I think in the games I've had with all three of you, they're good examples in different ways of how we did that. So Andrew, in our game at Tech, I controlled the middle of the board and kept your, your units from it to claim that middle point. So I won the mission, and there was, it was too late for you to do anything about it by the time you came out to fight me. Yep. Uh, I think Andrew, uh, sorry, Ed, when I played you at um, Strife last summer, I think I deployed in such a way that I pretty much stopped you getting to the mission unless you went to my battle line. Yeah, that would have been a double volley guns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it sounded more tactical when I just said I deployed that way. <laughs> People then just started, oh, I see what you did. Um, and then I think when, when I played Paul at uh, the Scottish Championship, yep. as soon as we had the, the, the two-penny mission, I spread you out as far as I possibly could in order that all of your threats were as distant from each other as possible. And I was going to bully one of them and then contest the other in my mind. And it just so happened to be I could put two uh, volley guns 
uh, in the middle of the board where I could <laughs> shoot at both markers. So I was quite happy with how that laid out in regards to I can claim one and fight you for it, and I'll shoot the other one or any of your threats going for the other one. So my build and my design and my deployment already had that in mind when I came up against your list and was trying to work out, oh, God, what can I do? I can't fight it all in one go. I know I'll spread them out as much as I possibly can. Whereas against most people, I stack two pennies. Once they've placed theirs, I place mine directly behind theirs as far as their side of the board as I can. And I just set up in a very small part of the board and I push straight across the table at them, knowing that with all of my speed and Zulu style, I'm going to cover the other two thirds probably better than they are and threaten the flank on the open side of the board. So yeah, secondary missions from list writing point of view, I start thinking about having speed and flexibility. And then when I get to the table, that's what I'm deploying for. I deploy to win the mission. And having polygons. <laughs> that also helps. Two organ guns goes a long way. I'm just saying that. See, he's full of shit, really. Like... <laughs> I've got a question for you guys. At what point is the secondary not worth it? There is a couple of circumstances where, well, I think anyway, sometimes when I'm playing a game, and I'll think, right, if I abandon the secondary here, I can get a big win anyway. Almost never, is my view. If taking the secondary is on the table, the number of points that you have to take in order to swing that far is vast. Even if you can just draw the secondary? Even even then, even three points, you're talking, what, 1,200 points? Is it less than that? I can't remember. 900 like, points. Yeah, it's maybe. like 450, so that's about right. Yeah, so... To get that many points, you know, what are you killing? And and is it a surefire thing, or are you risking a great deal in order to get it? I think the circumstances where you're throwing the secondary to get three points worth of battle points is very unlikely. I think, uh, Andrew, is what you meant, like, when you're in a position where you're drawing the secondary, so let's take two pennies as an example, you're camped on one, he's camped on another. Are you talking about the potential risk of, hurling yourself across the board to get theirs or are you talking about just not bothering going for it at all because you think you can table your opponent without it so like your first example like you've you've got the secondary in front of you and say it's something like flags right so flags is a hard uh, secondary for empire because you have so many squishy scoring units that you know 99% of empire lists will have so that's a, that's a hard one to win so and in most matchups, you're you're looking that that objective is going to be a hard push. So at what point do you kind of go into the game thinking that, right, I'm probably not going to win the secondary here. How do I try and offset that as much as I can? You don't. You make your opponent earn it. Like, don't give them anything at all. If they're going to win the secondary, then they're going to have to spend resources doing that. I'm not going to make it easier for them. I'm going to give them as much of a difficulty as possible because while they're doing it, even if it's a formality and you think, yep, this is a bad matchup, they're going to get my squishy stuff, I can't stop them, they still have to do that. So you just make it as awkward as you can and in the process you look at collecting what points you can to make up for it, but I don't think I'd ever go into a game where I'm conceding you know, three of the, the, the 20 points or three of the 10 points available to me just just because I think, oh, this is this is bad you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to do it. Like I've always got to make my opponent do it, and if I can, make them stretch. Because if they stretch, they'll make a mistake, and if they make a mistake, that's where you get the the. That's why we play the game. That's where the probability and the dice come in, and the organ guns do their thing, and suddenly you turn a loss into a win. So, 
yeah, always make your opponent earn it, make it as hard as possible for the secondary. That's, you know, it's part of the game. You know, you could almost call it the primary objective because that's what you're fighting the battle for. The killing your opponent stuff is a bonus, but you can win the game without killing any models. Yeah. So the mission is actually a primary, not a secondary. This is this actually came up recently with um, one of the executive boards, and he was saying that he struggled to enjoy the secondaries because he was thinking of them as just these tiny little asides that were irrelevant to his army. And this is important to me from a background perspective because I love secondaries. I think secondaries add character to battles much more so than just a smash in the middle of a field and say, let's see who wins. So he was saying, oh, but why do vampires care about a hill or you know they're just going to dominate the whole area saying you need to you need to switch how you think about that and think about why is that hill important to vampires maybe that's a barrow maybe it's full of powerful uh undead that you're going to raise and use to vanguard a, a whole army you know what is the reason that your army is fighting on these grounds as tim says you know it's it, it's what makes the battles individual and unique as opposed to just being yes. smash face oh very good points Essentially, I'm just abusing you all for your knowledge, um, because I think this is definitely an area of the game that I need to get better at. Normally, when I approach a game, I think, right, how am I going to win the game? And I don't really consider the secondary, but it is that, it's the secondary. Whereas maybe I just need to, like, mentally just change my approach a bit and think of it as a, as a primary. Like, I win the objective first, and then I try and win the game. I think they go hand in hand. Yeah. You set out your stall thinking about how you're going to take the secondary, how your opponent's going to take the secondary, and that will then dictate how the rest of the battle feeds into that whole process. I think the the thematic thing goes back to like the events that you guys ran last year up with the Wildlings. Um, the one where you guys have the custom scenarios. Yep. Is that Strife? That's how you need to think of all of the secondaries, as that thematic, this is the point of the mission. And as you say, if it's a King of the Hill, or if it's you know, breakthrough as a secondary mission, you still need to think of the thematic, why would this be important? And then that puts it front of mind as to, right, I definitely need to be doing this. Yeah. And then that will help with actually playing the game too. See, when you're playing breakthrough, Andrew, just imagine that there's a Sun-style orphanage just behind the battlefield. Fuck the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck kids. I don't think that's the <laughs> No, you got to think like... Sonstall Brewery or some shit like that. Then you've got me talking. I'll be over there. <laughs> Are you a dwarf player? You know, you, oh, all this, no. I think oh, I, I think we've found the truth work. here. That's never going to happen. He's too tall to be a dwarf player. Thank you, Tim. <sighs> Tim abuses me, but he picks me up when I need it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's shift focus a wee bit. What kind of... Because we talk about game plans, things like that. So what types of player or play style do you least look forward to come up against in a game? Gun lines. Simply because if you're playing a list that really only functions in one or two phases and you're playing against someone that has something to do in every phase, it can feel like you're really only playing for like a third of the game. Yeah. And that can feel at times a little bit boring. It's not necessarily that it's as bad, it's just not as fulfilling as say if you're playing against someone that has an army that matches yours and so it's a little bit more intense. I'd say gun lines for me, but that's just more because of the army that I play. Ed? I don't think there's a play style or an army style that I won't enjoy playing against. But when it comes to players, that will dictate the nature of whether I enjoy a game or not. Okay. And that comes down to, are they sporting? 
And I don't mean, are they going to give me things because I've enjoyed games where I've been 20 more than I've enjoyed games where I've won sometimes. But, you know, are they in it to collaborate on having a good experience? Are they looking to sort of gloat and take advantage of minuscule things that they may or may just not see. Just see Martin. Just see Martin. No, I genuinely, I've, I've never seen Martin as that kind of gamer. Like, yes, he, he you know. No, he he's, he's not, he's not. He's but, no, he's not. I'm only kidding you on. But when Martin. you've seen when you've seen people who've who've told you the wrong stats on a unit deliberately, I mean, that's blatant cheating. Yeah. But also in circumstances where they will spend so long agonizing over certain things instead of just talking, you know, that, that communication of, is, is such a huge part of the game to me. And if you're not communicating with your opponent and you're not trying to ensure that you're having a, a good experience, uh, win, lose, or draw, then that's the kind of experience that I won't enjoy. So, yay, ETC, let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> Tim? I'm going to second kind of what Ed said. The play style, not a problem for me. It just adds to the thematic balance of what I'm looking to do in, in that particular game. The player has a big indication. Uh, and mine is kind of three extremes. So there's the extreme in the people who don't want to talk to you. They're all business. They're all about the win. They're also generally not very good, but they think they are. And they'll overplay everything in their mind, but won't talk to you about it. Won't have an open game. Won't have a discussion. And you tend to find these are the guys who go to time a lot. There's another extreme that are the, and the other, these other two are kind of like my local meta. One of them is a, a guy who's not on the scene that you all know yet. And the other guy, everyone will have, have known the legend. So I'll, I'll describe the first one, which is <laughs> no fun, no risk, not even the thought of a risk. A re-rollable 11 still isn't going to be rolled. Like he won't take the risk that a panic test on a re-roll 11 could go wrong. Everything is done basically as as black and white as it possibly can be he never wins big he never loses big but he'll tend to grind me out in our games because we'll either go to time or we'll we'll lose the end of it or whatever love the guy hate playing the game or any game we play because we have a clash of styles i have my very open and weird and wonderful and he i mean take the dwarfish sit in the corner have no fun take the guns away and apply the same thing like they're not even interacting with your list but they're still draining your life uh so that's one style uh and then the opposite to that is the man the legend where doesn't matter what he's playing doesn't matter what i'm playing if it's within charge range he's declaring it oh we've made it <laughs> on a 50 50 he's either in or he's in um and then he gets to it. it doesn't matter what battle plan what strategy how clever you've been how tactical genius you've been this will get in and then it'll do maximum impact hits and then you'll fluff your attack and then he'll destroy you and tell you that's exactly how the math works, despite that not being how the math works. But then he'll re-roll it and do it to you again. So, you know, I can't argue with facts. So they are my extremes of what I don't like to play into because I feel like I can't do anything about it. Does right. Nick live dead in London? <laughs> Nah, I'm all I can. No, Nick isn't like that. He's just really jammy when it comes to long charges. Loves a long charge. He does. <laughs> if it's not an 11 plus, he's not interested. We, we pretty much put an objective in the next uh, strife pack just for him. Yeah. If Nick doesn't win that, I'm going to be really disappointed. Well, he didn't win it. Um, <laughs> what you call it? Scottish champs. 
I think he tried, like, I think he did, like, <laughs> six or seven twelves. He was like, come on! <laughs> okay, well, I think before we go to the last topic of the show, which is talking about uh, play style and mentality at events, it's probably worth doing the questions just now, because I think they kind of link in nicely to what we were saying. We had a question from one of the guys from the Wildlings group, uh, Fraser, and he asked, what is the most effective army you've played against or seen they use the playstyle not normally associated with said army. Andrew, are you going to answer that one? <laughs> <laughs> Spill shit is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> nah, mine, mine's just Tim. Tim knows, like, Tim's not even speaking right now and he knows it's him. Not necessarily the, the Beast Herds one. That was just a misreading of the game. But I think in terms of an army which was super effective and which no one saw coming was uh, Tim's dwarf list that he took to Siege. Because Tim was in my team and I didn't know what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> and every time I looked over at his table, he had this you know massive block in the opponent's deployment zone, and it was turn two. And I, I was like, I didn't know what was happening. It was very confusing. So I would definitely say, uh, yeah, Tim's dwarfs uh, would be mine. What about you, Ed? Any armies come to mind that you came up against? You've been surprised by? Probably Tanker, to be honest. Um, yeah, Tanker's not- a show. It didn't really surprise me particularly, but the way he played it, where I I was certain I had more range and more charges, and he he basically <laughs> proved me wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I he he was able to surprise me by playing defensive but setting up long charges in a way that I didn't expect from a warrior's list. But equally, Tim's dwarves definitely gave me a surprise as well. Tim, do you have anything to say about these allegations? This Tim guy sounds like a hell of a dude. Like, uh, <laughs> what a man! What a man! I mean, I mean, you know, without wanting to to join the love in and grow my ego bigger than it already is, um, I would say that my lists generally would do this. So my beastman list that I took to tech, whilst being complete spam and chaff, outshot a lot of people more than they thought it would. Um, right, it did. One of the most interesting ones that I did that I didn't take to a tournament scene, but I, I played around with a couple of games at my local club was an MSU dwarf build where I just flooded the board with 10 man units of dwarves and did all of the normal ridiculous shenanigans that I would do with a board. But I had dwarves instead of beastmen with their lack of leadership. And it confused a lot of people because they didn't know what to do or where to get the points from. Because if you collapse in on one unit and it died, two more flanked you. And dwarves on the charge are pretty savage, even in little blocks of 10. But charging dwarves is pretty savage, even in blocks of 10. So without meaning to make dwarves sound even more bent, <laughs> a really small MSU dwarf list, backed up with double organ guns, obviously, um, obviously. Is, is pretty scary and, and not something you'd expect from the, the army. But yeah, certainly uh, different. Different is good. Essentially, if you are one of those dwarf players, never leave home without runecrafted organ guns. That's, that's all you need to know. And don't forget the rune. Yeah, don't forget the rune. It's a fucking shambles if you forget the rune. Jabronis. Paul, what about you? When I read this question, my immediate thought was Tim's beside list, just from the description that we had of your game on the last couple of episodes. But yeah, like from the, what we see in our club, I don't really think... There's anything that really sits outside the kind of remit of the armies which people play. I would say that of late, 
I do enjoy seeing Ed's different orc and goblin builds. Like the chariot list was pretty bananas, just with all the characters. And I'm quite looking forward to seeing his list for Strife. But I don't think they necessarily sit outside what the army can do. I just think they're quite different. And they're not something that you typically see in battle reports or on the forums and stuff. So. And Tim, you had a question, right? I did, yeah. I had a, a thing that I'd like to kind of ask you guys about what we're looking at here with play style and, and tying into mentality going to the next section. So what I'd like to, to kind of get you guys to do is to rate yourself on a, a tilter meter in game. So we've all played games where we've wanted to tilt or we've we've had an instance come up where we just want to lose it and whatever. So I guess to rate yourselves on a tilt meter from like one to ten, so one being Mr. Miyagi, you know, has never even frowned before, all the way up to a ten, which would be like Titan Four, Meron Jaeger or something. Um, <laughs> how how you how you think you are in games, and then after you've rated your score, what you do in a game to get yourself out of it, like how you control your tilt mid-game. Is tilt just rage? Tens rage, yeah. Hmm. Maybe what we should do is also rate one another. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> just to see if our own perceptions match up with what everyone else thinks. That's a good idea. Let's do this. Everyone should just remember that I'm the guy recording it. And I'm the guy that it's edits it. <laughs> <laughs> So if you hear a weird, I think that... Cut, 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 cut. (laughs) No, okay, right, let's do this. Paul, you start. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Andrew, Ah. you start. Ah, you start. Never mind shifting it. Come on. Okay. (laughs) Tilt. Hmm. One to ten. Yeah. I don't know, I think I'm, I'm overall I'm pretty easy going, but there's definitely games where the blood goes. Um, I'd probably say, I don't know, uh, Mr. Miyagi's pretty fucking chill, like, uh, I'll go, I'll say I'm a four. Is that like standard four, or like worst case scenario four? What's yeah. your average? I think, oh, I don't know, average, I, yeah, I would. I don't know. Yeah, I think it comes down to your potential to tilt, because ultimately you only ever tilt when things are going wrong, so... Well, okay, let's let's go worst case scenario then. There was one game where I played against Andy, this was last year, and it was just one of those games where nothing goes your way, like everything was going wrong, everything was going his way, and it literally felt that I was making no impact on the game. I think that was probably the most tilted I've ever been. I think that was probably a 7, maybe an 8. See, I I would put you at a 7, Andrew. I'm a super tilt. Because not 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 tilt in the way that you get angry at people, but you get kind of exasperated when things are going bad for you. This is true. And I think <laughs> I, I think I've noticed that before that you can like you you're not much for poker if like if things are going bad for you you can you can tell. How'd you know? Maybe it's just mind games, Ed. You ever considered that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're doing exactly what I want you to do. <laughs> The day you come back from that expression and beat me is the day that I will know you've mastered the poker face. <laughs> okay. Oh. All right, okay. I would say 
like I say, I'll lose a lot, but I think six or seven average. But I would, I'll tell you this, fucking last game of the Scottish Championships, fucking 11. I was <laughs> raging during that game. <laughs> like, I had to, I, like, I kid you not, I punched the table at one point. I got really, I got really fucking angry and apologized to the guy. I was like, look, I'm really sorry, but there was just no reason why I should have lost that game. And um, it wasn't a good tournament and it wasn't a great matchup, I thought. And yet at deployment, I figured I can win this game. So I was pretty quietly confident that I was at least going to get a win in my last game. And I didn't. So turn five, I was fucking livid. So that was definitely 11, but I'd say on average, I'm probably only about a seven. I would put you a lot lower than that. I would put you oh, that's good. Though. I think, I think, generally speaking, I've like as you say. I think when you lose, when you lose more often, and I've been in that position where you're losing <laughs> regularly, um, <laughs> like, 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 like I've I've gone to tournaments, multiple tournaments, usually team tournaments, uh, to be fair. But I've I've come last place in all of them. Actually, that's another one, Andrew, where we were at um, Midlands. Yeah, I, I've kind of I've kind of gone through the process of coming last, and I know what it's like. And I think you you never react poorly to that kind of situation, Paul. Oh, that's good. Maybe that's what it is. I've just I've kind of I just accept it. Turn four, I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, I've lost the game. That's okay. Spread the cheeks. Oh well, we didn't do everyone. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ed, you gave me a seven. Because <laughs> this, this your chance for revenge, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. Right. So Paul, what would you give me? I'll give you a six. Okay. Tim? I'd say you're about five. See, fuck you, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's just softening you up. Oh, are we talking eight. about when you're playing me? Oh, if you're playing me, you're an eight. <laughs> okay, Paul, I would legit give you a two. Sweet! Because I've played you a lot, and I know when you're getting annoyed, you pick up your dice very quickly. <laughs> but that's... <laughs> That's legit the most you ever get out of you. It's like, All right, okay. I just failed That's that fine. 10 robot. I'll just pick up my dice very quickly. <laughs> Tim, what's your rating for Paul? I, I would, I'm not even sure I can go as high as a right 2. I, I, I've, I've played him once, and in our game, it wasn't going well for him, and things started to go against him, and I think he huffed. So, <laughs> I, I would have got a 1 or a 2 level. Like. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, definitely. Okay, so Paul, you probably average out at like two. <laughs> right, yeah, angry Paul, you're Paul Warriors. <laughs> it's difficult for me because I don't know how I come across versus how I feel inside. I like I I laugh when things go wrong. I I try you know when when the like dice just go against you. I try and laugh. That laugh is definitely concealing some internal rage at the uh, at the dice, but I try not to put that on my opponent as much as I can. I have no idea how that comes across. So what, so you... what are you giving yourself? I uh, see. That's where I don't know what that <laughs> I don't know what that counts as, but I would say a five probably. I'm giving you a one. Really? Yeah. Albeit, I think we've maybe played each other six or seven times. I've only beaten you once, so most of the time, you know, you're doing, <laughs> you're doing well against me. So I probably don't. I'm not probably not the best person to ask. You need to beat him more. That's the... <laughs> it's it's easy to be in good humour when you're winning. That is definitely true. Yeah, but true. I think even even if we've played a game, and I dare say there's been rules of you know of being bullshit and they've gone against you or whatever. Like I really want to see you as like a ten. I want to see what angry Ed looks like. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait until strife and see if this list falls apart, and then you'll see it. Awesome. I'd put you in about a, a three or four as well, I think. 
Oh, I'd get better than nine because he's just a fucking rage cage when I smash him. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's been so long that uh, the memory's faded. <laughs> Maybe that's true. <sighs> Burn. See, I was going to give you like a four, but fuck you. Uh, maybe five. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Tim? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put you about three or four. Almost, almost all of you. Like you all seem very laid back and and everything. Um, I'd like to see what you're going to score me in a minute, but uh, I would <laughs> say myself. I play. It depends on the state of the board. If I still have units, two. If everything I'm doing is going to pop and all of the units are going and I've got nothing left on the board. I will flash up to a nine and then after about six seconds, I'm back to being a two or a three or something simply because so long as I've got something on the board, I can play the game. If I've got nothing left on the board and nothing I'm doing is working, I will get frustrated and I'll flash up and then I'll very quickly remember that I can't win that way. And that I go back to, to thinking about a new plan and creating a new opportunity. So mine is in my mind, very low, but then it will flash up very quickly and then go back down again. But you'll occasionally see me throw a unit into the dead pile, and then by the time I've looked up from the board, everything's normal again, and, and away we go on my next unit, five hounds to kill your Death Star. Like, I, I'm that optimistic. It's just <laughs> uh, there will be times when you know five hounds let you down, and you've got to throw them into the pile to, to let them know who's boss. It's rare, but it happens. <laughs> okay. I don't know, Tim. I think you're pretty chill. I'd probably give you, I don't know, like a three or a four. Uh-huh. I got I got very happy when you started to get annoyed when I played you um, at, at Tech. So I, yeah. knew, I knew I was doing something right. I was like, oh, he's, he's pissed off. He just threw that dog into the death bell. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> he's going down. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're pretty easy going, I would say. Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say a three. I've only ever like played Tim once. It was pretty chilled. Again, it was going pretty well for him. I think the only time in the game that I thought, oh, I've got him scared, was, was he whipped out his uh, his dice during the deployment and he was considering cornering. I thought, oh, he's scared. This is good. This is a good sign. <laughs> and then he didn't do that. And then I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I would I will be inclined to agree with that. I'd say three or four, but that's really just guesswork. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say the three, maybe a four. There is a particular look you get where something happens that should not happen. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember it when I killed your Dwarf King <laughs> in our game. And there's a particular look like, hmm, that that defies mathematics. Um, <laughs> but that that's as far as I've ever seen you get towards being actually, you know, expressively pissed off. And the rest of the time I find that you're 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 great at communicating and talking about the game and what's happening and not you know, sitting taciturn on the other side of the table. So that's great from my perspective. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like during our game, it was, it was quite good getting that kind of feedback and getting like your interpretation of how the game was played and what you thought might have been better options for me. So that's quite good. I can't, I don't know if that's what you're like at the end of the game, if you've just been thrashed right now, but you know, that was very much appreciated nevertheless. Thanks guys. Sweet. So that I'm, was good. We should. This should be like a regular thing. This is therapeutic. Should be a thing on the show now. <laughs> I mean, I'm the tiltiest, so I win that, right? Maybe, maybe on the forum you could record a tiltometer. I am rage. 
Okay. We don't really have any super angry players in the, no, in the team no. in the group, do we? I mean, Martin's the saltiest, but I mean, he's he's like that when he turns up before he's even taken anything out of the box. Yeah, he's fucking salty when he's winning. Apparently, <laughs> I, would, I would know if but what he's like when he's winning, like. But <laughs> if you haven't seen the rage in the group, then you're not trying hard enough. Like, you need to start playing with crap units that chase down Death Stars. Then you'll start to see the rage. <laughs> Or I'll play Andrew again and you can film it. Either way. (laughs) Third time lucky, I told you this. Third time lucky. I'm going to make you cry (laughs) in the grip. (laughs) I'll bring dwarves. You'll just... Ah, don't do that. (sighs) Fucking dwarves. Okay, before we lose friends, let's turn to the final topic of the show, which is uh, applying all this playstyle mentality stuff at events. So the first question for this one is, how important do you think it is to be aware of your own playstyle for maximizing your performance at an event? I don't necessarily try to box myself into playstyle, but I think it's important to know what your army's capable of. So because I'm thinking each game is individual, and because each deployment and each matchup is individual, so I'm not necessarily thinking I want to play this as X or as Y. But I think knowing what your army can do, what it's good at, and what it can't do is essential to prepping before an event. So somewhere between not locking yourself into a specific playstyle, but at least acknowledging what your list should be able to do. I think ultimately, to do best at a tournament, you need to play to your own strengths as a player. And obviously, that's part of that is considered when you build your list. But you inevitably have more fun I think, when you're at a tournament or just when you're playing generally, if you play to your own strengths. So being aware of that, I think, is is quite important. And I think that can sound really obvious, but like I say, really like considering playstyle to the degree that we're talking about it just now is something that I have really done before. So I think that's something that's certainly going to help me for future tournaments. I think it's really important. Because I think it links into your game plan aspect. So I think you need to know what you're good at, what your list is good at, and how you can make the most of it. But you've also got to be realistic and that you've got, as well as maximizing your performance, you've got to be aware that your playstyle might come up against something that's not conducive to that and how what you're going to do in those scenarios. Uh, I tend to agree. It's important. How else can you be effective? You know, play to your strengths, play to your list strengths, and if in doubt at any point, just play to the theme of your army. Your, your list should be conducive to that. The way the army rules have been written is conducive to that. Just just stick to that and you can't go far wrong. So what mentality do you guys take to an event? How do you actually, it's, you know, it's the, the day of, you're in your premier in, you're getting your breakfast, you're psyching yourself up. What outlook are you, you know, looking for when you're going into those games? So for me, I'm more concerned with playing well from the point of view that if I don't, it'll detract from my enjoyment. So if I know I've played poorly, you know, I'll go into the mentality in the second game of that's weighing down on me too much than it should. So I think for future tournaments, for me, the mentality that I'm going to take in is really just to have fun, first and foremost. And if, as long as I'm enjoying it, then I think I'll play more effectively, even if that means only getting like you know seven points from a game. 
I'll still be happy. I mean, for me, because I'm quite early in my kind of wargaming career, I'm not expecting to go into tournaments and to really win. I'm really going and trying to improve. So for me, um, it's really first and foremost, foremost just about having a good time. And I think trying to put too much pressure onto yourself and giving yourself too much expectations is, can be a really negative thing. Uh, I'm completely with Paul, actually. I think uh, the first game of a tournament, you don't know what's going to happen. There's nerves, there's so many things, so many potentials. You're thinking, maybe I can win big and get myself off to a really good start, or you know, I really don't want to lose big. And To be honest, I've been pretty lucky the most the most recent tournaments that I've um, I've generally come out with a win in the first game. But ultimately, I just think you need to get need to get yourself calm you need to get yourself into a place where you're thinking you're playing and you're not kind of rushing things and letting nerves get the best of you but ultimately remember you're there to enjoy it because if you're not enjoying it on day one you're definitely going to struggle to enjoy it by the end of day two unless you're just happen to be winning but if you need to be winning to have fun you're doing it wrong such happy words <laughs> Get used to them, Andrew. He's a he's a two on the tilt meter, man. Fuck thick. Well, my seven on the tilt fucking spits on that answer. <laughs> Demand victory. Um, no, I set myself uh, goals, so I'll kind of decide how well I would like to do at the tournament. So, for example, at TEC, I set myself the goal that I wanted to be in the top half of the table, and because I didn't get that. Fucking raging! <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I th- like, I just think that anything competitive, I think it's healthy to set goals. So I set goals and I try and achieve them. And sometimes you're not you're not going to get those goals, but hopefully in the process of not getting those goals, uh, you learn something else. And if you get those goals, obviously that's your you know objective complete. But you know, first and foremost, it's a game, it's a hobby. You go there to have a good time. Um, and you know, events are great just for you know, hanging with the guys and shooting shit and just having a good laugh. So, in terms of gameplay, I set myself a goal and I, I try and get that goal as much as I can. But in terms of, you know, just general approach to an event, you know, you, everyone's there to have fun. So, you know, don't deny yourself that and don't deny any of your opponents that. Unless it's Ed, fuck that guy. <laughs> what do you think, Tim? I had the perfect variant quote from uh, Conan the Barbarian to kind of answer this one, but now Ed's gone all philosophical and friendly on me. So Do it, I would say, no, no, I, I'm going to say um, I just play every game in isolation. Like you hear a lot of people will complain, oh, I was, I was down on, you know, the bottom table, so I should have won my last game. Oh, who did you play? Oh, the current master. Like he also got beat in his first game. It's like it doesn't matter what table number you're on, you play that game at yeah. that time and then afterwards you worry about the rankings if you go into a game thinking oh i have to win this game to get the rankings you've pressured yourself so although you're starting the game at nil nil you're starting the game down because you're now carving yourself out that oh i've got to get points i've got to start winning i've got to do this thing and it could impact you playing that game the way that you need to um sometimes it can cloud people's mind and they'll make mistakes sometimes it will put them on the aggression when they're not the aggressive list. I've seen many people in that kind of last game thing of, oh, well, I can't win the tournament, so I'm just going to go all out and try and smash you off, come up against an army that beats the crap out of them in combat, 
lose the game and then fall to like the bottom third of the rankings at that event and all of their friends get bragging rights all the way home they could have avoided this completely by just playing the game normally yeah so for me i don't go into an event thinking oh yeah i want to do this i want to do that i want to win this with the exception of maybe going to an event and taking an army that uh, displays nicely for painting and taking particular units that might help me catch the eye of the judges to be included in a painting nomination. Outside of doing doing that, I would say I just go into the event to to carry on the saga of the characters in my list. You know, the 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 army has been chosen because it means something to me. My army list is means something to what I'm telling the story of my characters, and then I play each game uh, as if you know I was the next battle. Uh, battle story in 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 the fluff that supports the the army so you know everything it has a bit of character to it and uh, at the end of that i either win or i lose and that's how it's played out but i wouldn't say oh yeah i need to beat this player or i need to set targets to finish above somebody else you just play five games if your five games happen to be against you know etc veterans you're going to have a very tough weekend but you're going to have learned so much from that that you know you don't go into it thinking oh i'm just going to learn like i've lost this game but I'll learn what I can. I go into it thinking, you know, they don't know who I am. I know who they are. Does that give me a, a leg up? Who knows? And just play each game independently. You guys are fucking hippies, you know that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so um, the last question we have tonight is um, how much does your preference for, you know, a single event or a team event, how much is that dictated by your own play style and mentality? And do you think that you as a player... Or just, you know, just as a gamer, are more suited to one over the other? I mean, I've only been at three tournaments. I've only played in two. But I think it really just depends on the type of tournament. Obviously, some are more casual than others. I think at the Scottish Champs, personally, I did feel a little bit more pressure going into that. I don't know if it was because I had just psyched myself out a little bit. Or we had been talking about it a lot. And it was probably the first slightly more competitive event that we had in our group, I think that kind of affected my game a little bit. I think team tournaments could potentially be considered to be more stressful in the sense that you have to kind of play to the needs of your team if you're going there to win. You know, if you're playing a list that needs to win big, then there's more pressure there. Whereas if it's just a single event, you're kind of really just playing for yourself and you really only need to adhere to your own kind of expectations. So I think it just depends on the the type of event as in how casual it is, and if you're going there to, you know, affect your standings or not, or if it's a warm-up event for something else that you're, that you're looking to go to. The kind of flip side to that with regards to the team versus singles part of the question, I guess it also depends upon your role within the team, like what we were saying before, but some certain play styles are they're easier to conserve points than others. So there's maybe less stress involved if you're part of the team to, to, to fill that role. Personally, I'm not really sure if I'm suited to one or the other, simply because I've never played in a team tournament. I'm not sure. I mean, there's certainly pros and cons to both. The big thing about a team tournament that I like is the kind of just the team aspect, though, and and how much of a laugh it can be um, kind of winding up other teams and just having, like, you know, good banter and that kind of thing. So uh, I'm not really sure what my mentality is suited to. Okay. Tim, what about you? I would say my play style, uh, being so open naturally and being so weird and wonderful uh, because of the units and the, the 
the type of games I play suit singles because there's no responsibility for the end result impacting somebody else. I think if I was to play in a team event as I am this summer, then I step away from what I normally do as a play style to play something a little bit more reliable for the team's benefit. You know, I can't cost the team the round simply because I had one of those games that happens once every now and again where just nothing works. You have to play a bit more responsibly. I think as far as my mentality goes, that fits quite well with the team environment because I keep my games quite calm. I keep the approach to my games quite friendly. I will talk to my opponent during the game. Obviously, I won't start coaching them in a team event, uh, you know, scores first, but uh, I'll talk them through and I'll talk after and, you know, do my best to make sure that they trounce their next opponent so that, you know, uh, our winning ratio is higher overall from, from team to team. But the mentality, I think, probably fits team better because I'm not as cutthroat, all-out offensive, score as many VPs as possible, singles domination. But I know that my natural play style isn't quite suited to team play simply because it's, you know, you can't say to someone afterwards, oh, yeah, it just all fell apart on me. And my lists have a, have a potential to do that. And I think in a team, you need to be a bit more responsible to your teammates. So you have to do things like take BSBs and, you know, take leadership nine and all these things that I just find so weird that are just standard and commonplace. So for me, it's kind of I suit one, but I'm suited to the other in a different way. Ed, what about you? I think because I'm genuinely there to have as much fun as possible. Now, maybe this is my experience because I've never played in a team that was yet that was competing for like high honors and things. So my experience has been going in knowing that the team's not necessarily going to win. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to try and contribute as much as I can to the team performance. But I think the overall experience, not necessarily when you're on the table, but between games and uh, you know, discussing things after games. The community generally is pretty good. I've I've generally enjoyed myself at tournaments, but I think it's improved by having close teammates around you to banter with and to share, you know, your anecdotes from the battle and compare performances and just not feel that you are an island. You know, you're not completely on your own. So, you know, there's that kind of collective spirit that I think, personally, I enjoy more. What do you think, Andrew? Are you a fan of the team more the sing- than the singles? No, because teammates let you down, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally joking. <laughs> I don't know. I enjoy both. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I, I enjoy both. I like singles because it's just you. Um, and that's, you know, both, you know, if you do well, it's just you, but also if you do poorly, it's you know, it's just you. You know, having gone through the shit show that was Midlands, I had a couple of horrendous games there. And, you know, the, the team wasn't doing great either. But <laughs> it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't great to say that, yeah, that was another big loss, you know, every round. So, and I think that, that definitely affected my overall mentality at that event, especially after the second game. So I lost the first game and the second game was going really well against Tanka. And then I just, I pushed too hard and he flipped it and, and smashed me. And that was a big hit because I went into my third game basically demoralized and then I lost that and then went into day two and then I got a big win and started day two. And then the last game I was just done. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm done with this event. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that affected my mentality and that was largely because I wasn't doing well and I was letting the team down. 
And I know it's just a you know it's casual whatever, but it still affects you as an individual. But do you, you think know, your um, playstyle changes much between the different types of tournament? You definitely don't take as many risks in a team format. Even at Siege, you, there was a couple times where you know I could have tried stuff, and it might if it pulled out, you know it was going to be you know getting lots of points. But if it didn't, it was potentially you know very very risky in terms of the team's performance. So I didn't do it. But you know, the actual team format is just so much fun, and it's you know it's good going there with your pals and having a laugh and uh, winding up other teams and stuff like that. So <laughs> and like the actual you know the camaraderie aspect and you know just have a good crack and stuff like that. I think that is that's really important, and that's a big side of the hobby that if you don't you know you don't play in teams, you may be missing out on. I don't know. I think maybe mentally, I'm probably suited for te- uh, sorry for singles, but I probably enjoy teams more. If that makes sense. Cool. Well, that's us. That's us at the end. Massive thank you to Tim and Ed for coming on. Much appreciated, especially at kind of short notice to get this one done. Looking forward, uh, we will be having our uh, Widows of Ninth Age episode coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we've already got loads of questions for that one. But if you want to fire in any of your questions, you can do so. You can get us on the Ninth Age forum. I'm Lost Cause and Paul is Space Goblin. Uh, you can get us on the club Facebook page, which is Scottish Wildlands, or you can get us on Twitter at Scottish Ninth Age, or you can even drop us an email um, at scottishwildlands at gmail.com. But just before we wrap up, just thanks again to Ed and Tim, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take it easy, guys. Thanks again for coming on. Welcome. Thanks, thanks for having us. See you later. <laughs>